All right. Well, thank you, uh, Jonathan, Andrea, and guys, for that. Have your Bibles turned to Philippians chapter 3. Uh, Philippians chapter 3. We're going to look there in just a minute. Uh, in 1982, Bill McCartney, I believe, was an assistant coach at the University of Michigan. He left that post and he went to the University of Colorado to become the head football coach. Uh, when he arrived, he made a solemn promise. He said, I told everybody that with me, God is first, family is second, and football is third. And he said, but that didn't last very long. He said, I got in the middle of the thrill and the challenge of trying to resurrect a, a college football program that was in disarray. And he said, the winds begin to come, and, and the more we begin to win, uh, the more I lost track of my priorities. By 1990, Colorado was on the top of the world in terms of college football. They won a national championship. And people said to Coach McCartney that he had reached the pinnacle of his profession. But for him, there was just an emptiness about it. And here's what he said. He said, I had everything a man could want, and yet something was missing. I was so busy pursuing my career goals, I was missing out on the spirit-filled life that God had for me. Now think about this. Here's a man that by the world's standards had absolute success. I mean, when you set out to coach football, I, I suspect many of, you, many of those would think, man, if I could win a national championship in college football, I would arrive. And so here he was at the top of his career, and yet he realized there's something missing. He was pursuing, if you will, the wrong thing. Well, the question I have for us this morning is, what is it that we're pursuing? What is the passion that is driving your life? What is the passion that is driving my life? For McCartney, it became winning on the football field, and, and granted, he won at the highest level, and yet... It left him empty. So what, what grips your heart? What is it that captivates your, your, your mind and what consumes your heart? What is it that, that you just gravitate towards? Well, this morning we're going to look in Philippians chapter 3, and we're, we're really going to do a little bit of a biography uh, sort of on the life of the Apostle Paul because he was a guy that in, in his circle, he was at the top, but he found something that was worth it all. So join me, Philippians chapter 3. We're going to pick up in verse 12, and then we'll go back and pick up some of the backstory. Philippians 3, beginning in verse 12. Paul writes, Not that I have already attained or obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Would you pray with me? Father, in these next few minutes, I pray that we would be able just to, to wrap our minds around uh, Paul's life and, and, and just the, the passion that drove him 
Lord, and that we might see that that same passion uh, should be what drives us. It should be uh, the goal of our pursuit and the goal of our life. So, Father, draw those of us who believe to Jesus this morning to, to intimacy and to personal connection with him. Father, doubtless in an auditorium this size, there are those who have yet to to give their life to Christ. They may not yet be followers. They may be thinking about it. They may be contemplating it. They may even be running from it. But God, I pray that they would see in the life of a very smart, very successful man that he chose Jesus because Jesus is everything. And so for that person, Lord, I pray that today they would decide, I'm gonna choose Jesus because he's worth it. I'm gonna choose Jesus because he is worthy. So Father, would you have your will and your way in every one of our hearts and all of our lives, and we'll be careful uh, to give you the honor for that. God, would you speak through your word, and uh, would you just hide me behind the cross so that you might speak through me and bring to mind everything that you want me to say? And God, help me to forget those things that are not pertinent to today's message, and we'll honor you, Father, for it. And we pray now in the name of the Lord Jesus, amen. Well, whatever else you could say, one thing drove Paul. He was relentlessly uh, passionate in pursuing this one thing. If you look in verse 12, it's kind of interesting, and I kind of started in the middle to, to, to hopefully to make this point, but he says, uh, not that I've already obtained this, or am I already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. He says, for Christ Jesus has made me own, his own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. And so there's this passion. Paul's got this passion for this thing, this, this it, if you will. And he says, I haven't got it yet, but I really, really want it. In fact, he was really willing to do anything he could to get it, and he did. Have you ever had something, have you ever wanted something so bad in your life? that you could just, it's it's almost like you could taste it. Maybe it was your first car. Uh, Maybe, students, maybe it was your first date. Uh, Maybe maybe it was that dress that you wanted to wear uh, to the prom, or maybe it was that pair of shoes, ladies, that you just, for whatever it was, maybe, guys, it's that deer rifle, whatever it might have been, but you could just, it just consumed you. You thought about it all the time. You, 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 just, you, could, you could just see yourself shooting it or driving it or, or having him on your arm or you on his arm or, or whatever or wearing. But, but for whatever it was, you just, you, you wanted it so bad. You'd do whatever you could to get it. Well, that's where Paul was at here. He had found something and he was willing to do whatever to get it. And to keep it. So let's look up in, uh, look up in verse 7. Uh, let's go back up there and just kind of see the passion that he has. Because he says in verse 7, he says, but whatever gain I had, I counted loss. Now, what gain did he have? Paul was very religious. and In religious circles, he was at the top of the heap. He had, uh, he had religious credibility. He said, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was of the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin was one of the two, it, along with Judah. Uh, they didn't... They fell away from God later, so he was kind of one of the chosen tribe. He said, I was circumcised on the eighth day. In other words, what he was saying is, in terms of the spiritual rules, I kept them all. 
Anybody, now this is harder for, our, for this group. Anybody remember when you went to Sunday school, you got a, you, if, you, if you went every day of the year, you got an attendance pen. Does anybody remember? A few of us remember that. If, you know, you go to Sunday school, if you got perfect attendance, you got an award, right? And uh, kind of like in school. Well, and it also, in Southern Baptist State, used to, there were some classes, if you took a class and finished it, they would give you a certificate. And, you know, kind of like a diploma, but, but not quite so much. And, and, so, and so what Paul was saying is, I got all the perfect attendances. I got all the diplomas. I kind of got everything. I don't, I don't know about you. I, did, I never got perfect attendances. I had a buddy, a good little Methodist friend of mine in school. He, he, one day he said, you know, I got perfect attendance in Sunday school. And I thought, you go out, you, there's no way. Because he'd go out of town. He said, well, yeah, when I miss, I make it up. And I thought, that's not perfect, perfect attendance. <laughs> Paul didn't miss. Paul said, I've got, hey, whatever, I've got it. Religiously, he was at the top of the Socially, because of his religiosity, because he was important, he had, uh, what we, students, what we might, he had, he had social status. I mean, he was part of the in-group. Spiritually, He was part of the in-group socially. And yet he says, whatever was gained to me, I counted. I counted it, verse, verse 4, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. In other words, he said, I'm willing to give up all of my religiousness. I'm willing to give up all of my social status. I'll give up anything for Christ. And then he goes on to say, if you look at the next verse, I think it's verse 8, he goes on to say, and not only have I, because see, he said, I already gave all that up. And then he gets to present tense. He says, but indeed, I count everything lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And he's, he's, here's what he was saying. Not only will I give everything up, all my status, all my social stuff, he said, I, I, I'm willing to give up anything I have. Matter of fact, he was willing to give up his life for the sake of knowing Jesus. If, if we were to go back to chapter 1, we won't do that. But, but in chapter 1, verse 20 and 21, Paul says, um, For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And, and what he said to the Philippians, he said, My preference would be to die and go to heaven. But I think it's probably more necessary for me to stay here with you for a little while longer. And so here's what I'm saying. Paul wanted Jesus so much. Not only was, was he willing to give up everything he had, he was willing to give up his life. Now, why would he do that? Because he wanted, the, the next verse tells us, he, want, he wanted to gain, or the rest of verse eight tells us, he wanted to gain Christ. He saw the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus from the Lord. He, he says, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Now, interestingly enough, uh, I love the terminology there because he says, for the, for the sake of knowing Christ, I have suffered the loss. Now, the tendency for us is to think maybe, well, Paul was spiritual. And because he was spiritual, it was easy to give things up. It was easy to give up his social status. It was easy to give up, to, to, to lay his life on the line. No, no. Paul said, I, I suffered the loss. Paul said, it cost me something to give that up, but I was willing 
to give it up in order to know Jesus. Now, here's a question for us. Are we willing to pay a cost? Are we willing to give something up in order to gain Christ? Because he said, I want to give it up to gain. In fact, he said, I count it as rubbish. Rubbish, is a, that's a nice translation of that word. It means garbage. It means filth. It means dung. And I could go on. It, it, it mean, and Paul said, I consider the best I have, I consider it as garbage compared to the excellence of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And he said, I want to gain Christ. And then verse 9, not only did he want to gain him, he said, I want to be found in him. He said, I, I don't want to have the kind of righteousness that, hey, I went to Sunday school every week and I got a pen. Hey, I, I completed the class and I got a certificate. Hey, I'm a good boy. Hey, I'm a good girl. He said, no, no, that's not what I want. I want the kind of righteousness that comes from faith. I want Jesus's righteousness. And he said, so I'm willing to do whatever it takes. I want to gain Christ. I want to be found in him. And then he goes on to talk about there in, in verse 10 uh, where he says that I may know him and the power outflowing. Uh, that's not in this term, but that's the idea. The power outflowing from his resurrection. He had this great passion to know Christ. He had this great passion to know him. In fact, he was willing to suffer the way Christ suffered. And if you notice there in the middle of verse 10, look what it says uh, right there in the, in the middle of that verse, uh, that I may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death. That's an interesting phrase. Because our first thought, I've already talked about how Paul was willing to lay down his life for Christ. But that's really, when he talks about uh, sharing in his death, he, he wasn't talking about just dying. Uh, if you remember back in chapter 2, the scripture says of Jesus that he considered it not robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So what Paul was saying is, I'm, I'm willing, in, in order to know Jesus, in, in order to have Jesus, I'm willing to become ab. Absolutely obedient. Now, what are we willing to do in order to know Jesus? Are we willing to become absolutely obedient? Because Paul goes on. Look at verse 11. He's not finished yet. Verse 11, he says, that by any means, by any means possible, in other words, whatever it takes, I'm willing to do whatever it takes that I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now, that's another interesting phrase, the term resurrection. We see it a lot in Scripture. This word resurrection here is different. A lot of times we talk about the resurrection of the dead, the resurrection of the dead, and the resurrection of the dead. But this verse talks about the resurrection from the dead. There's a preposition added to the word in the original language. And the idea, Paul says, is I'll do whatever it takes so I can come out from among the dead. Now, obviously, he's talking about so God will raise me and go to heaven. Obviously, he may be referencing to the rapture. But I think there's more to it than this. In fact, one scholar pointed this out. Paul, Paul's not saying here, man, I'll do whatever it takes so I can be saved. He's already saved. He's already going to fly when he dies. Okay? He's going to go. So, so, so what did he mean? The, the, the idea to be, uh, to be resurrected out from among the dead, just think about this. He's talking about, I want my life 
I want my life to look different. I want to stand out from those around me who are spiritually dead. And so what he's really talking about here is I, I want my life to be distinct. I, I want my life to be different than the average guy. I, I want my life to be distinguished. In, in other words, what he's saying is I, when people look at me, the Apostle Paul, I want people to go, hey, that dude's different. Not in a bad way, but he's different. I mean, sometimes people look at us and they go, hey, yeah, he's different. But, but we want it to be in a good way. And, and Paul said, I, in a spiritual way, what I want is I want people to say, hey, he's come out from among. He looks different than everybody else. And that he acts different than everybody else. And, and, and here's kind of how we know that's true, because if you look in verse 12, I mean, think about this, this, this passion and pursuit of Christ to live a sanctified, different kind of life. Look in verse 12. He says, not that I've already obtained this. See, he said, I'm not there yet. Because see, the tendency would be for all them people to look at him and go, man, he's Paul. He's like the greatest preacher ever. He's the greatest missionary ever. Surely he can live like that. But Paul said, no, no, I'm not there yet either. Not that I've already obtained this, but I press on. I press on to lay hold of for what Christ, because Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. And so the idea is that he wanted to look uh, significantly and completely different than the world. Now, here's kind of the question. How passionate are we to pursue Jesus? What price are we willing to pay so we can come out from among those who are spiritually dead so that people look at our life and go, there's something different about her. She, she, spiritually, she's different. So what, what, what are we, what are we uh, willing to do? Do we have the passion? See, see, for Paul, he had this one thing. He said, this one thing I do. I, I, so, so what is your one thing? What is it that you're living for? Because we can, there can only be one thing that, that's most important. For, for Coach McCartney, for, for eight years there, there was something more important than God. And he said, even though I got to the top, I realized there's something missing. And so what's most important in your life? What is your, what is your one thing? What is that thing that drives you, that passion, uh, that grips you, if you will? And we've all got to answer that question and, and so when you, what we see in the text here, verse 12 through 14, is Paul keeps saying, you know, I, I, I'm looking for this, but I don't have it. I, I want to own this, but I hadn't got it. I want to own this, but I hadn't got it. So I press on. And he says, but I hadn't got it yet, but I, but I press on. And, and so kind of the idea that that word press on means to, um, it's kind of the word for an intense endeavor. Uh, in Scripture, they used it to describe a hunter who was chasing after his game. How many of you hunt? How many hunters? Okay, we got a few. Hunting for them was different because when, when we go hunting, we, we don't really have to have the food. Now, you, I'm sure you eat your deer or you eat your squirrel or your rabbit or whatever it is you, whatever it is you go hunt. But really, we hunt because we want to put something up on the wall with big old horns. And we want the people to go, man, that guy can shoot, Right? Well, that's not why they hunted. 
They hunted because they got because baby got to eat, right? I mean, because I mean there wasn't no it wasn't no hey look at me I can, I shot a big deer. It's like the baby's hungry. We got to get something. And so what? So Paul uses this word because there was this intense passion. I, I've I've got to get this thing because if I don't get this, my family's going to go hungry. And so Paul says that's the word he chooses when he says I I I, I don't have this with Jesus yet but I got to get it and I'm willing to do whatever it takes, this one thing. So the idea there, uh, really what he's speaking to, if if we're going to have this relentless passion for Christ, if you're going to have a vibrant living relationship with Jesus, if there's going to be intimacy in your walk with Christ, then you've got to be willing to do more than you're doing. You've got to be willing to what Paul says. He says one thing. What he's saying is I'm, I'm focused. He says, this one thing I do. You ever tried to take a picture you know, like, you, you, you know, now, nowadays it's not so hard because we've got smartphones. But, but back in the day, I mean, I got a camera when I graduated from high school. By the way, students, you, just think about this. When you graduate from high school, how many of you would like to get a camera? Uh, I got a Minolta. Man. What, what a thrill. But it, it was kind of an Aggie camera because it had autofocus. But, but the thing of it is, you, you can't focus on everything. If, you're, if you've got a camera and you're trying to get a picture... If you want it to be clear, you got to focus on one thing. You can't focus on everything. And so Paul says, this is the one thing I do. I'm not going to do everything. This is my one thing. My focus is on Jesus. And what we've got to get around is what is our one thing. Now, that doesn't mean we don't go to work. It doesn't mean we don't go to class. It doesn't mean we don't play the sport. It doesn't mean we don't parent our kids or, or whatever. What it means is that whatever we're doing, whether we're playing a sport or, or a part of the band or we're parenting our kids or we're working in our office, in the context of all that, we have one primary thing is that I'm going to honor Jesus in what I'm doing. And that's what Paul's saying. He's, he's just talking about here that we've, we've got to have focus. The Living Bible translates verse 13 this way. It says, no, dear brothers, I am still not all I should be, but I'm bringing all my energies to bear on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what's ahead. So if you want to pursue, if you want to have a passionate relationship with Christ, you've got to be focused. You, you got to be able to dial in on the one thing. Remember when the rich young ruler came to Jesus and he said, Jesus, what do I need to do to be saved? And Jesus said, well, you know the commandments. You got to keep all those. He said, oh, yeah, I've done all those. What else? And Jesus says, you need to do this one thing. You need to get, you need to get rid of your money because it's God in your life. You need to do one thing. Remember when Mary and Martha, Jesus is coming to town and Mary hears about it and she drops what she's doing and she runs over here and she just sits in front of Jesus and Mary, meanwhile, she's over here and she's cooking in the kitchen and she's vacuuming the room and she was trying to get the clothes out and doing all this thing. And finally, she goes to Jesus and says, Jesus, can you see how busy I am? Could you tell Mary to help me? And Jesus says in, in Luke 10, 42, says, Martha, one thing is necessary. One thing. Sit at my feet. And then in Psalm 27, verse 4, verse four King David writes, Lord, there's one thing that I have asked of the Lord. One thing. When, when they were uh, interviewing the blind man in John chapter 9, they wanted to know all this stuff about, you know, Jesus did this, and did Jesus do that, and could Jesus, how can he be this? And the guy said, I just know one thing. 
I was blind and now I see. And then we come to Paul here and Paul says this one thing. So the question I keep coming back to is what is your one thing? What is my one thing? Because for Paul, it was Jesus. Because whatever our one thing is, that's God in our life. That's the God of our life. Paul says, this is the one thing I'm pursuing, Jesus. Last year, quick example, um, Arnold Palmer, uh, the king, that was his nickname in golf. Really, uh, when I was little, he was still playing. But he was, he was kind of past his heyday, but I mean, he, was, he still had Arnie's army, and you know, he was kind of, he was the bomb. Before Tiger was the bomb, and Jack was the bomb, Arnie was really the bomb, bomb. And, and so, but in 1961, he's leading the Masters by a stroke. He tees off on 18, hits the ball down the middle of the fairway, and he, he was writing about focus uh, back in the 90s. And he says, so I'm walking up the fairway, and as I walk up the fairway, there's a good friend of mine over there. He says, so I walk over to this friend of mine. He sticks out his hand, and I took his hand, and he says, congratulations, Arnold, on another win. And he said, at that moment, I knew I lost my focus. He says, I hit my next shot into the sand trap. He said, I chipped it out, missed the green. He said, I missed the putt, and I lost the Masters. And he says, the reason was because I lost my focus. I lost my focus. If you and I are going to follow Jesus, if we're going to have intimacy and passion in our relationship with him, we've got to have focus. Now, how do we do that? Paul gives us two practical things to do. The first one, he says, is we've got to forget the past. One thing I do, verse, uh, verse 13 uh, the one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, so we got to learn how to forget. You know, we got stuff in our past, all of us. Everybody got a past. Even if you're young, you got something. You took something that belonged to somebody. You pulled somebody's hair. I mean, even if you're little, you pull somebody's hair or bit somebody. or I mean, you know, we, so we've all got some stuff, right? We've all done some things. And Paul says what we've got to be able to do is we've got to, we've got to forget that. We, we, we've got to create a memory because, because what happens if we can't forget the past, we can't go forward. And, and there's, you know, we've got stuff in our life. There's things that we've done or there's things that people have done to us. And because they've done something to us, we've got a grudge. And, and we're bitter, and we can't really follow Jesus because somebody did this. And so we're holding on to that stuff, and we hang on to it. And Paul says, no, no, we've, we've got to forget the past. We've got, we've got to get good at forgetting. Because when we forget the past, it, it enables us uh, to go forward. Uh, I remember a story from years ago. There was a guy, he was a farmer, and he had, he had relatives in, in the city, and and uh, at, at one point, the cousin, one of his cousins came out, and, and uh, they were sitting on the porch, and the farmer needed to get his cows in the pen. So he whistled at his dog, and his dog ran out in the pasture and circled up the cattle and, and, and kind of got him into the corral. And the dog was so well-trained, he pushed the gate to and with his paw just reached up and latched it. And the city cousin's like, wow, that's pretty good. Said, what's your dog's name? And the farmer got a, he thought for a minute and he said, uh, 
He said, what's that, what's that long stem flower? It's red, it's got thorns on it, and the city guy goes, that's a rose. He says, oh yeah, rose. And he turns and he says to his wife, Rose, what's the name of our dog? <laughs> that guy, he knew how to forget, right? Now maybe he shouldn't have, but he knew how to forget. And what Paul is saying, listen, if, if, if I'm going to follow Christ, I've got to know how to forget. Now, this, the thought is we've got to forget all the mess-ups. The thought is we've got to forget all the bad stuff. And that's true. But you know what else Paul was saying? You, I need to forget the good stuff. Because if I don't forget the good stuff, I'll live on my past laurels. And that's what a lot of us want to do as Christians. You know, we serve the Lord or, you know, I taught Sunday school for 15 years and, you know, I've done my time. Now it's time for somebody else, you know, to come along. Now, none of you have ever said that. But I've heard that as a pastor over the years. People say, well, you know, I've served. I've done my time. I've done my part. Hey, if anybody could have said, hey, I'm, I've done my part, it's Paul. Because here he's in prison here he's in prison for living for Jesus. He's been on two, probably three missionary journeys. He's been stoned and left for dead. Actually, probably dead and resurrected, but regardless, stoned and left for dead. He's been beaten like Jesus was three or four times with 39 lashes. He's been beaten with rods. He spent a night and day in the deep. He's been shipwrecked. And he's got the, you know, and, and then he could say, you know, God, I've done all that. It's time for me to have a break. Or he could have said, well, God, there's a, God, there's a, there's a church in, in Phrygia. There's one in Galatia. Actually, there's three or four in Galatia. There's one at Colossae. There's Ephesus. There's Laodicea. And then there's Tesla, you know, Corinth. And he could have said, God, look at all these churches I started. I think, could I not relax? No, no. What Paul said is I'm forgetting all that stuff. See, listen, you can't buy tomorrow's groceries with yesterday's money. We can't, we can't have tomorrow's spirituality with Jesus on what we did yesterday. And so what Paul's saying is that you, you need to forget what's behind you. If you and I are going to focus, we've got to forget what's behind. And then secondly, he says, we've got to face what is ahead. We've got to face the future. Somebody, since we were talking about golf, somebody once asked Ben Hogan, I believe it was, they said, they said, they said Mr. Hogan, of all the golf shots you have ever hit, which one is the most important? He said, the next one. The next one. Paul, which church is the most important that you planted? The next one. Paul, who, what, what person that you shared your faith with? Oh, what person that you led to Christ? Which one was the most important, Paul? Paul would say, the next one. See, Paul forgot what was behind. Paul, which, what was the most intimate spiritual encounter you ever had? Paul, what was the greatest quiet time you ever had with Jesus? Paul would say, the next one. The next one. And if you and I are going to be focused, we've got to be willing to forget what's behind. And we've got to face what is ahead. Notice the terminology in verse 14. We need to move quickly, but notice what he says. 
I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, that, that's, a, that's, a hard, that's a hard translation there. You know, what is the upward call? We, we don't really know, but here's what we do know. Paul expected, Paul knew that when he died, he was going to stand before the Lord Jesus. And he knew that because he had been faithful, the Lord Jesus was going to give him a crown. And so he said, I'm living for the moment. I'm living for the moment that when I step out into glory, that God's going to call me. And God's going to, because in the Olympics in that day, kind of like in our day, if you won the prize, you got to come up on the platform. By the way, I had a picture to show you, but I, I, didn't, I didn't give it to Brian, uh, of a guy getting his Olympic medal. You know, you know what the gold medal guy got? He got to stand in the middle at the top, right? And so Paul's saying, I'm pressing on because when I get there, I want Jesus to take my hand and I want him to bring me up on the platform and I want him to look me in the eye and say, Paul, Paul, well done. And she said, because that's, he said, that's what I'm going for. That, that's what I'm living for. I'm living to please Jesus. Now this morning, who are you? living to please. What is your one thing? What is the one thing that you are living your life for?